Hi, this is Steve. So when John and I started this podcast, our goal was to talk about great films. But what exactly constitutes a great film? Yes, of course, there are masterpieces created by cinematic geniuses like Kubrick, Wells, and Kurosawa, and we're definitely going to talk about those. But The Cinephiles isn't just about worshipping at the altar of great cinema. It's about the movies we love, the ones we watch over and over again, the ones we like to quote when we're out with our friends, the ones that scare us or make us laugh, thrill us, surprise us, or challenge us. They might not have great cinematography, groundbreaking direction, or award-winning performances, but that doesn't mean they're not important. Sometimes it's those movies we love that define us in ways the masterpieces never could. So, this week on The Cinephiles, we enter a genre that is particularly important to me, and that's the kung fu film. And there's no better place to start than 1972's Enter the Dragon, starring Bruce Lee. That's coming up this week on The Cinephiles. Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and how it's influenced us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hi, I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover actor, actor, and uh, host of a bunch of shows here in Los Angeles. And today we're doing a film that's a really uh, big one for me, and I'm going to... I'm going to get deep into that in a minute, but but yeah. I want to ask you, the film is uh, Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee, yeah. and I want to ask you, John, where'd you first see this movie? I think I went through, like every kid does, they go through that kind of phase when they're growing up, at least when I grew up in the 80s, you went through that phase where you get into martial arts movies, right, and you enjoy watching them on Saturday afternoons or what have you, and then you hear this word, you hear this name, Bruce Lee, and yeah. then you go like, oh, what, and everyone reveres Bruce Lee, and you check out the Tao of Kune Do at the library, and then you realize, <laughs> oh, what is all this, and then you watch his movies and i think the first time i watched the movie was on probably randomly on some tv station in growing up but when i remember really watching the movie is back in the 90s uh i believe on laserdisc at the university of virginia in charlottesville virginia oh wow and uh watching because i went through a whole film school education back then and i remember just absolutely loving the film uh, and understanding it's why people had such a reverence for it and then watching the that dragon movie by Rob Cohen that sure. really highlighted why this movie was so important. So for me, I've been thinking about this question a lot. And, oh, okay. And as we've, as, as we've done this podcast, we've looked at a bunch of great films, great yeah. cinematography, great writing, great directing, real artistry and filmmaking. Yeah. And I'm confident in saying that enter the dragon is by far the worst film that we've looked at. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of filmmaking. Okay. In terms of being, we can't compare this film to Touch of Evil or Right, Amadeus. right, right. It's just not, it's not at that level as a film. As a film. Right. However, in terms of personal influence on my life, yeah. I think Enter the Dragon has influenced me personally more than any other film in history. Wow. Because for the last 25-ish years, yeah. I've studied martial arts. Yeah. And... Uh, starting out with karate and various kinds of kung fu, and then for the last 15 years uh, practicing and teaching Aikido. Mm -hmm. And all of that, all of the pain, all the sweat, all the thousands of hours on the mat can be traced back to watching Enter the Dragon with my dad. Wow. Yeah, I was nine years old. Okay. My dad said, I don't even know if he knew what it was. Right. And it came on Showtime, and my dad said, hey, you want to watch this movie? And all I remember is by the end of the movie, I was standing up. <laughs> couldn't sit down anymore i felt electricity over my whole body yeah i was so affected physically by that movie yeah. and that idea that from that moment forward i wanted to do martial arts i remember i went to soccer practice the next day and i told mark mathis to try to punch me in the face because i was certain that i knew how to block it because i'd just seen end of the dragon right right and from that moment forward I became obsessed with martial arts movies. And I didn't, this is, so I was nine years old. So this yeah. is 78, 79. Bruce Lee had already been dead for quite a long time. Right. I didn't really know anything about him. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I saw Bruce Lee, Bruce Lai, Bruce Lai, there's all this. Oh, yeah, the yeah, 70s, all the knockoffs. So all these guys pretending to be Bruce Lee. I just watched them all. Yeah. And then I started finding, you know, the strange, like, Shaolin Wooden Men and, and the, the Five Deadly Venoms and yeah. all of these kung fu movies. I just couldn't. It stayed up late at night. Then discovering Jackie Chan, and I would go uh, with with my buddy Jeff, and we would go to every video store in Chinatown trying to find martial arts movies. Wow. And by that point, I was studying martial arts. Yeah. And that this is really, 
and all of that. And for anybody really who does martial arts in this country, there's there's a connection to Bruce Lee. The, the the our perception of martial arts in this world doesn't exist without Bruce Lee. Yeah. That's how big this movie is for me. Yeah. And so yeah, there's some cheesy dialogue, and yeah, the plot's a little wonky, and yeah, it's a it's early '70s movie. Yeah, but this movie, at least for me mm-hmm. and for a lot of other people I know, is big. Yeah, no, I don't, and and you know, I never got, I never took a martial arts class, and never had the guts to go and do something like that. But I've always revered the martial arts movies, and I remember loving Bruce Lee so much that uh, you know, I'd, I went and watched rewatched his whole ouvroir, like Chinese Connection, the big store. What's it called? The big kit. Well, it depends. So, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll excuse me. Sorry. Talk about this when we talk about his history. But yeah, uh, so the first movie he made in Hong Kong is called The Big Boss. The Big Boss. That's it. Yeah. But when they released it in the U.S., they call it Fist of Fury. Oh, Fist of Fury, right. The second movie he did in Hong Kong was called Fist of Fury, which when they released it in the U.S., they called The Chinese Connection. (laughs) The third movie he did in Hong Kong was called Way of the Dragon. Right. But it came out in the U.S. after Enter the Dragon, so they called it Return of the Dragon. Oh, right. So it's very confusing in terms of what the titles are. Yeah. Um, But I remember watching them all, and I remember being transfixed by Bruce Lee. The thing is, when you see a star, you know you see a star. That's right. And he was definitely... A star in so many ways, you know, transcending the genre. You know, he'd already been Cato in the Green Hornet, right. and to see him take do this, it was just amazing to watch him in the movie. And you see John Saxon, you see Jim Kelly, who I had gotten to know because I had watched all these cheesy martial arts films yeah. growing up. So I loved Jim Kelly as a, I mean, a black martial artist. That just in your mind when you first saw it, you're like, whoa, you know, with it was one so of the cool. great, one of the great froes of all time. Yes, I absolutely. Say. I love Jim Kelly. <laughs> it is defeat. That you must learn to prepare for. I don't waste my time with it. When it comes, I won't even notice. Oh, how so? I'll be too busy looking good. He's so cool. He's still around, too. <laughs> Is he, he really? He does, does demos. You what? You see him at conventions and oh, stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And he's still Jim Kelly, man. He's yeah. Jim Kelly. So Smooth. let's talk a little bit about Bruce and his history. Sure. Um, so first of all, there are a whole bunch of documentaries about Bruce Lee. Yeah. And most of them are terrible. Yeah. And I watched every single one of them. Wow. And they would have the same little clips and the same quotes from him and then just really bad. Until there's a current documentary, maybe, I don't know, like three years ago called I Am Bruce Lee. Mm. And it's really good. And what it does that's really cool, and I recommend if you're into Bruce Lee, check it out, is it interviews a lot of contemporary people like Kobe Bryant and contemporary boxers and Dana White, the president of the UFC, and them talking about their feelings about Bruce Lee, as well as Linda Lee, his wife, Shannon Lee, his daughter, and uh, and Dan Inosanto, who's sort of his number one student. so, So it's got both the historical people as well as some of the more modern people talking about Bruce and footage i hadn't seen before and i thought i had seen everything um so first of all bruce is born most people don't know he's actually born in the united states yeah he's born in san francisco because his father was a a chinese opera star and he was on tour and bruce was born in san francisco and so he made sure to get bruce a birth certificate in the u.s so he was officially a u.s citizen went back to hong kong and bruce was a child actor yeah yeah a well-known child actor very famous and just as he's becoming a famous child actor he's getting in a lot of trouble he's getting in fights He's got a lot of anger issues, and so as you do, it's always a strange thing, but it makes sense to me. Is yeah. The kid that has anger issues, what do you do? You teach him how to fight. Right. So he starts training with a very, very famous uh, Sifu named Yip Man, and Yip Man trained in a martial art called Wing Chun. Okay. And Wing Chun wasn't a big martial art at the time. It's a big martial art now because of Bruce. Right. It's actually uh, invented by a woman uh, who is a Shaolin nun maybe 500 years ago. Wow. That's where Wing Chun comes from. And um, so he studies with him. He also he stops acting and becomes a, uh, he was the Hong Kong uh, cha-cha champion. What's cha-cha? Dancing? Dancing. Dancing. Oh, wow. He's a great dancer. Bruce was. Bruce. Wow. Um, and then he immigrates to the United States uh, because his dad basically said, you got to get out of town. You're, gonna, you're getting in run-ins with the law. You're just, you got to get out of here. Right. And he comes first to San Francisco and then to Seattle where he studies philosophy at the University of Washington. And this is something we see with Bruce is we think of him as this physical, amazing yeah. specimen, which he is. But he's deeply, deeply into philosophy, yeah. both Chinese philosophy and Western philosophy. So what I'm saying, actually, you see, I mean, it's a combination of both. I mean, here it is, the natural instinct, and here is control. You are to combine the two in harmony, not if you have one to the extreme, you will be very unscientific, 
If you have another to the extreme, you become all of a sudden a mechanical man, no longer a human being. So you, it is a successful combination of both. I mean, so therefore, it's not pure naturalness or unnaturalness. The ideal is unnatural naturalness or natural unnaturalness. <laughs> Yin Yang, eh? right, man? That's it. <laughs> and. While he's at Seattle, in addition to meeting his uh, wife, Linda, he also uh, starts teaching martial arts. All type of knowledge ultimately means self-knowledge. So in other words, what I'm saying, therefore, is that he is paying me to show him, in combative form, the art of expressing the human body. Yeah. And, and their story, one of the things about Bruce is their stories that become legends but some of them are true. Uh, he did get challenged. Uh, he did fight a lot of challenges. And yeah. one of the challenges was he uh, was fighting. He, he felt that he could teach anyone he wanted. Yeah. White people, black people, wherever they came from, men, women, he didn't care. And the Chinese community said, you can't do that. Right. These are our secrets. And he did. This is really this is a true story is he really did fight a, a, a match. And the winner of the match would decide whether or not he could teach uh, Westerners. Wow. Which he won. Yeah. Uh, and and this is one of the things to know about Bruce Lee is there are a lot of martial arts stars like Sammo Hong and Jackie Chan yeah. who I won't say they aren't martial artists, but they aren't martial artists the way Bruce Lee is. And I love Jackie Chan. This is no disrespect. Yeah. But Bruce Lee was a real fighter. He was a real uh, teacher. Uh, of martial arts and, and, and really did develop his own style, which mm-hmm. is Jeet Kune Do, which came out of this fight he had with this guy, which he said took too long because he was fighting within a classical form of Wing Chun. Mm. And he said, I need to expand this. I can't, you know, because the way Chinese martial arts are taught is this is exactly how you do it. And, it, and you're learning this system. And Bruce went out and started studying jujitsu. He was obsessed with American yeah. boxing. He ran films of Muhammad Ali, loved Muhammad Ali, watched him over and over and over again. He went out to look at karate. He looked at all these different martial arts, the screama he gets from Dan and Asanto, and starts combining them and comes up with this idea of Jeet Kune Do, which is much more of a philosophy than a style. Mm. And the, the basic quote of it is, study everything, take what is useful, discard the rest. Yeah. And that's Jeet Kune Do. And what some people think, if you go to a Jeet Kune Do class and they go, here's how you do Jeet Kune Do, that's not Jeet Kune Do. Right. Because the idea is study everything. Be open. Yeah. Because I do not believe in styles anymore. I mean, I do not believe that there is such thing as like Chinese way of fighting or the the Japanese way of fighting or whatever way of fighting. Because basically we have only two hands and two feet. So styles tends to... Uh, 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 not only separate men, you know, because they have their own doctrines and then the doctrine became the gospel truth, you know, that you cannot change, you know. But if you do not have styles, if you just say, well, here, here I am, you know, as, uh, as a human being, how can I express myself totally and completely? Now, that way, you won't create a style because style is a crystallization, you know. I mean, that way, it's a process of continuing growth. So with this, uh, Bruce, uh, first in Seattle, then he opens up a school in Oakland, then he comes to Los Angeles, opens up a school in Los Angeles and becomes the sensei to the stars Mm. because his three of his students are James Colburn, Steve McQueen and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Wow, and a bunch of other stars too. And suddenly people start discovering, and this is before Cato or anything. Yeah. There's this hugely charismatic guy who's, you know, 5'3", 130 pounds and can kick the shit out of anybody. Yeah. And people start coming to him. And it's at that moment that he starts wanting to be an actor again. Okay. Yeah. And, wow. uh, and, and then, as you said, he gets cast as Cato in The Green Hornet. Yeah. And we have to talk a little bit about the time, uh, what Asians, images of Asians there were on the screens and on televisions in the United States. Yeah. And it's pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I never think it's a good idea to compare uh, which group is disrespected worse <laughs> uh, because it's just a bad thing to do yeah but it's pretty bad there uh, other than like sesu hayakawa in the silent era oh, there yeah. are no asian actors who play leading roles at mm. all the, in fact they're not even asian actors as there were that are playing like big comedic roles like rochester or amos and andy yeah. and things like that they're just none and we have that horrible mickey rooney yeah. um breakfast at tiffany's depiction super racist yeah and Bruce playing Cato was a big deal. Yeah. Big deal. 
Uh, did you ever watch the Green Hornet? Yes, I did. Uh, watched it on reruns when I was a kid growing up, and it was always fun to watch. It was. It's. It it has a certain kind of magic to it. It's not the same as that Batman Robin. With, yeah, the so Green with, Hornet is ba- is sort yeah. of the next one of that. It was, yeah, it was made by the same people to, to to capture the Adam West Batman. Yeah, kind of show. Yeah, it was fun to watch, and it certainly was interesting. You know, to see uh, an Asian American do those kinds of things, and the way that he was doing it. Like, you know, I don't know. Can you, I guess you can say Asian American because he was born here, sure. right? Wouldn't you say that? Or American? Maybe you say American too. But like uh, doing all the things that he was doing it was it was fun to watch. As a I would kid. call him whatever Bruce wanted me to call. Him. Yes. Right. To be honest. Um, so what you're telling me that all the stuff in Rob Cohen's film didn't have, Are you telling me there wasn't a kitchen fight that sent him with money over to the States? Because, you know, they don't highlight any of that in the movie, that he was born here and that his dad... Like, I mean, they highlight that he got in trouble, but then he comes here and, of course, he meets Lydia. I'm going to say that, that movie is not... What, what's interesting... Okay, I like that movie. It's a good movie. I, I actually... I rewatched it for that. Like I said, I yeah. think Bruce Lee in it up. You I've watched everything. Yeah. And I rewatched that and I still like it. It's a good movie. It is not an accurate movie and i mean oh, really? it, it, okay no i'm really sorry no the the brother of the guy he fights does not follow him what? to uh thailand to be on the set of the big boss what? where they have now these things that seem believable to me it, it, what's weird about that movie is is the the conceit of the movie of this we're talking about dragon the bruce lee story yeah is to say Bruce Lee's life was really like a movie. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. You know, yeah. and his life wasn't like a movie. I mm. think there's a much more interesting movie to make about Bruce Lee yeah. in the sense of the great biopics and like Ray uh, and, you know, uh, Walk the Line. Sure. Because like, he was a, like those guys, yeah. a complicated, angry, intense, obsessed, difficult yeah. person super charismatic. That makes yeah. it sort of a romantic, right. simple adventure story. Yeah. And it's fun. Um, anyway, uh, so back to Bruce. Yes. The actual K- Bruce. The actual Bruce. <laughs> uh, Green Hornet gets canceled. He is super depressed. He's losing all his money. Yeah. He has the idea for a TV series about a, a martial artist traveling the West, which would later become Kung Fu with David Carradine. David Carradine's not Bruce Lee. No. Um, and then he goes to Hong Kong for a family thing. And while he's there, he finds out that the Green Hornet in Hong Kong is called The Cato Show. And that he is, in fact, a big star in wow. Hong Kong. And makes a deal with uh, Raymond Chow and Golden Harvest to make his first movie there, uh, which is The Big Boss, which was released in the U.S. as Fist of Fury, as we said. And it is a huge hit. And to show how fast, this is like 1970 yeah. when that's made. That movie makes it over to the U.S. Like no, none of these other movies have made it. Right. And it becomes a sensation so fast that within two years he's in the U.S. or he's he's making a, an American movie deal for yeah. Enter the Dragon. Yeah. With, yeah, produced by Fred Weintraub, who I actually worked for, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah, one of my first jobs out of film school was writing a screenplay for Fred Weintraub, and he is a big, crazy Hollywood character. <laughs> tell stories about him maybe at a later date. But he produces this movie directed by Robert Klaus, yeah. starring John Saxon, Jim Kelly, and we get to Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Okay. Now, I love that. I'm on this journey with you. This is so much fun because, I mean... What can I possibly contribute? Because I don't have the deep depth of knowledge of Bruce Lee that you have. I have more of the observational knowledge. Like, he was always such a kick-ass fun guy. I have the Tao Zhi Kundo, one of my boxes of books that I have right. in my closet here somewhere. So to me, it's, it was always a blast to, to watch it. I still watch his movies. I catch him whenever he's on. He's a good actor. Listen, he's a good actor. There's a reason he transcends the genre, man. Not just because of his personality or star quality. It's also because... You believe him. He's believable in the scenes that they put him in. Well, and he has an, an intensity. Yes. That is, I, I put him, like, he, to me, comes out of sort of the James Dean school of oh, yeah. acting. Like, there is a Absolutely. powerful, brooding intensity, particularly in Chinese Connection yeah. and Big Boss, where you see the the rage and the anger. And, 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 and that's uh, modified a lot in End of the Dragon. He's a more yeah. sophisticated the character he plays in End of the Dragon is a wiser more kind of has his stuff together yeah. person. Uh, uh, but putting it in the context of Asians on the screen in the Western world, yeah. and it's remarkable, you know? And, and it's interesting, too, when you think about uh, where these kung fu movies played in the United States, right? is that they played in the same theaters that played exploitation movies. Yeah, and there's a deep connection between black exploitation in the early '70s and urban theaters and the African American community and Bruce Lee. Yeah, there's a there's a real reason why those things fit together. In fact, I took a class in film school on black exploitation and kung fu films. Yeah. Oh wow. Um. Yeah, it was one of the more more interesting classes <laughs> I, 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 I took. 
so I want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, please. We're, the, take us I'm, wherever you want to take I'm us. I'm going to keep going until I'm you on want the ride. to stop me. I'm All on right. the ride, man. All right. So one of the things that's interesting to me with Bruce Lee, yeah, <clears throat> is fight choreography, um, because while there is a real tradition of fencing and sword fight choreography in film, yeah. you know, going with Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone, Tyrone Power, Douglas Fairbanks, all these guys, beautiful, beautiful sword fights from yeah. the from the silent era on. There is not a tradition of fight choreography, in oh, my opinion. Okay. I mean, think about it. Can you think of great hand-to-hand fight scenes? No, hand-to-hand fight scenes, no. Other than maybe The Quiet Man, uh, yeah. John Wayne, that's a big, huge, rollicking fight scene. Right, but I mean, the, the, choreo- the choreography in the silent movies in terms of Chaplin and Keaton, those kinds of situations are phenomenal to watch. Not, oh, yeah. not, obviously not hand-to-hand in most situations, but still, there is fighting or some kind of... There's beautiful choreography, yeah. beautiful physical choreography. Yeah, that's the closest I come to in my head, yeah. But, but it's interesting that like, if a guy picks up a sword and they're going to fence, you might see swinging on ropes and jumping over things and climbing right. upstairs and all these great choreography, beautiful right. moves, but not punches. And right. that idea of fight choreography, that starts with Bruce Lee. Wow. It really does, I think. Yeah. And today, if you look at movies today, from everything from you know John Wick to the Avengers to uh, to Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, like I well, that's yeah. a sword fight though. Actually, I'll take that one back. Right, more samurai, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah, a fight choreography. It really comes from Bruce Lee. Yeah, and his approach to it. Well, how does this film like talk to? Since we got to talk about the film, like what what is what, how does this film get made? What has happened? Like, what is the impetus for making the film? What is at stake here? What is the motivation? What was on the line? That kind of thing. So, uh, so Bruce Lee's has this huge surge in Hong Kong, yeah. which comes to the U.S. And there have been some Hong Kong movies that came to the U.S. Right. in a very small way, mostly from the Shaw Brothers, which is oh, yeah. one of the smaller... Uh, One-Armed Swordsman and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, Those started to come to the U.S., but nothing hits like Bruce Lee. Right. And I will tell you a little bit about Fred Weintraub, okay. because he's really the guy that makes this happen. So uh, Fred Weintraub, he, was the, uh, he owned a club in New York. This is where this guy started from, called okay. The Bitter End. And The Bitter End is a very famous club in New York, and... Uh, John Blake's and all all the musicians came through okay. there in the 60s. Okay. And he became a manager of musicians. He was even Woody Allen's manager for, at one point. Wow. And then he comes to uh, Hollywood uh, as a, to become a producer. And one of the first things he produced, he buys the footage from Woodstock. He's the producer oh, of the Woodstock documentary. Wow. Because one of the things, and I knew this when I met him, and he was much older when I was working for him, yeah. was this is a guy who could see trends. He could see that's going to be something. So he buys up all the footage that was shot for the Woodstock and gets it made. And some of the people that he saw that were up and coming were Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, who ended up editing a little bit on that movie. Martin Scorsese was living on his couch for a while. And in fact, when in Mean Streets, when De Niro comes to the bar with two Jewish girls and he says, introduces one of them, this is Sandy Weintraub, that's... Uh, Fred Weintraub's daughter. <laughs> um, so he was really involved in that. Okay. He also apparently had an office on the Universal Backlot where he would regularly dose people with acid when they came into his office. Whoa. Which is not cool. No, not cool not at cool all. Not cool at all. Uh, he was an intense dude, but he's the guy. He goes, this is something. We need to put together a movie around Bruce Lee. Wow. Um, and brings on Robert Klaus, who's like, eh, whatever, director. Yeah. And Bruce Lee's going to be the fight choreographer. And they made a good deal because Bruce still has a deal with Golden Harvest, right, which is where he's working for. So they made a partnership deal with Raymond Chow at Golden Harvest and to shoot it in Hong Kong. So it's kind of half a Hong Kong production oh, okay. and half a American production. Right. It's sort of a Hong Kong production with American money. Yeah. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. 
Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about fight scenes. Sure. Uh, so, opening fight scene is with Sammo Hung. So, and you know who Sammo a Hung? A young Sammo Hung. Very young yes, Sammo Hung. of course. Sammo Jackie Hung. Chan's, Jackie Chan's friend, yeah. Yeah, it's like his old... The, he, what was the TV show we had on CBS? What was the TV show? Martial Law? Mar- was it Mar- Martial Law? Martial Law, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it was, yeah. So, Sammo, <laughs> so Sammo and Jackie and this other guy, Yuan Bu, and someone named Yen Wa, I think his name is, yeah. they're all brothers that came out of the uh, Peking Opera School, which basically means that... Jackie was essentially sold into apprenticeship yeah. at five years old and and they were tortured for the first 10 or 15 years of their life, you know, forced to stand on their heads for an hour, yeah. you know, like horrible, horrible things. And Samuel's the oldest one. So yeah. he's the first one to have success. And he's looking fairly slim in that opening fight scene. Yes, he is. And in that fight scene, you see Bruce do uh, joint locks and uh, all these things that aren't out of a Kung Fu, um, uh, out of Wing Chun resume. Yeah. And this is why Dana White says that Bruce Lee is the father of MMA. Wow. Yeah, because the idea of Jeet Kune Do, and no, I'm going to take from all these different styles, yeah. that's the beginning, according to Dana White and a bunch of other people, of mixed martial arts. Oh, interesting. And you can see a little bit of it in that fight scene. Yeah. And you also get to see a big, heavy guy like Sammo do a bunch of backflips. Yeah. Like that, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and we also get an introduction to some Bruce Lee philosophy, this idea of which he talks to with his master of the fight being formless and not trying to predict it. That's mm. that's some deep Bruce Lee fighting stuff. Yeah. Which I'm thinking about more and more on the mat as I'm working. Right. Not to compare myself in any way to Bruce Lee. <laughs> but <laughs> no, like no. So, some of these weird things that I heard first time when I was ten. Right. That I went, Well, that's crazy. Now I'm kinda go, Oh, I, that makes sense. But his stuff it, it isn't and that's the thing is that I think why he endures and why he as I said, the third time transcends the genre is, is his philosophy applies more than just to martial arts. It applies to life. This idea that you cannot have necessarily a very strict mode of living because you have to be able to use influences from all different areas to create right. your overall voice, you know, because you're taking and it's the same thing with acting and acting. You you can learn all you want of Udo Hagen and uh, all the different uh, teachers and what have you and read their books, uh, Meisner, what have you. But uh, you the smarter actor, the best actors take what they need from those teachers and apply them to their own philosophy as an actor to what works for them. Because if you try to make something work for you that doesn't organically work for you, it's so transparent and so technically obvious that you are you lose what you're trying to create. To me, okay, to me, ultimately, martial art means honestly expressing yourself. Now, it is very difficult to do. I mean, it, it is easy for me to put on a show and be cocky yeah. and be flooded with a cocky feeling and then yeah. feel like pretty cool and all that. Or I can f- make all kinds of phony things, you see what I mean? Blinded by it. Or I can show you some f- really fancy movement. But to express oneself honestly, not lying to oneself, that, my friend, is very hard to do that's such a great point there's a there's a sensei uh who i studied under a little bit named walter murius who's one of the most impressive impressive aikido martial artists i've ever seen in my life okay he wrote a book uh called precepts of the martial art which is hard to get but it's pretty cool yeah and one of the things that he says is you got to have a teacher and it's good to follow in the footsteps of your teacher yeah but if you follow too long in the footsteps of your teacher the path you follow will become a rut yes and you will dig your feet in so far that you will not be able to get out and you will merely become a false copy of that teacher. And what you must do eventually is strike out on your own path. Yeah. And I think that's definitely what you're talking about. It's what Bruce is talking about. Yeah. And, you know, this idea of why do you send the kid that's always getting in fights to a martial arts school to learn how to fight? That seems counterintuitive. And yet the process of learning martial arts or I, I, my feeling yeah. any great discipline process of learning to play a musical instrument the process of devoting time to basketball or whatever it is teaches you lessons along the way yeah. and hopefully hopefully teaches you to not fight yeah you know yeah you have that great scene he's on the boat and there's the asshole maybe he's australian martial artist yeah who kind of says what's your style my style 
You can call it the art of fighting without fighting. The art of fighting without fighting? Show me some of it. And he says, well, here, let's go, let, let's go over to that uh, island and I'll show you. He, the guy goes down to the boat and B- Bruce hands the ropes to the, the, the people, the sailors on the boat who this guy's been mean to. And yeah. now the guy's stuck on the boat. And that's the art of fighting without, fighting. <laughs> you know, and, and, and yeah. that's some, you know, it's like, that's why we like Bruce Lee. It's yeah. this, that mix of intensity and philosophy yeah. and some fun too. Yeah. Um, uh, here's the setup of the story. It's yeah. not that complicated. Bruce is approached by some government or organization, MI6. We don't know who they are. Right. Because something's going on with this guy, Mr. Han, who's, I guess, a former Shaolin monk who yeah. has his own island. And he's doing something bad. And every four years he has a tournament. And they want Bruce to go find out what's going on. You have offended my family. And you have offended a Shaolin temple. That's a pretty loose plot. And we show up at the big martial arts tournament, which, by the way, is like a set piece for a whole bunch of martial arts movies after this. Oh, okay. You know, like Bloodsport and us. Oh, yeah, right. We're going to be at the big martial arts tournament, and that's where our plot's going to happen. Yeah. So Bruce goes. He doesn't want to go to the tournament. And also, he happens to discover along the way that his sister was uh, killed by the big henchman who's named O'Hara. Right. Or she killed herself when he was about to rape her or something like that. Oh, and we also meet Jim Kelly, who's also going to the tournament for his set of reasons. All right. Because he's, uh, it's like a Black Lives Matter thing, because yeah. he's harassed by the police and he has to leave the country. And uh, uh, jo- the great, funny John Saxon, who's just an obsessive gambler who's got to leave the country because he's deeply in debt. Um, and we get there, and who does Bruce have to fight first but O'Hara in one of, I'm going to put it in the top, Certainly the top 20 and maybe the top 10 one-on-one fight scenes of all time. Wow. With him and O'Hara. Yeah. Great fight scene. Yeah. And, and this brings up something. I feel like I'm talking a lot. So. No, no. This is great. So if you... Okay. This is going to be... A, it's a little bit of a Bruce Lee lecture. That's okay. Um, <coughs> um, so I have very strong feelings about fight choreography. Yeah. And a lot of times you see in movies, it feels as if someone's writing the screenplay and they get to a certain point and in the screenplay they write, they fight. And then after, then they resume after. <laughs> as if the fight is not important to the story. Right. And in really good fight scenes, what you see is that the fight, just like dialogue and everything else, advances the story and defines character. Yeah. And this is a great example of it, which is we see who Bruce Lee is and by the way that he fights and the choices he makes within this fight. Yeah. And it has a progression. There's a beginning and middle and end. It's not just two guys punching each other. Right. It's not just two guys each trying to do really cool moves, although they're all co- are cool moves. So first of all, we know that Bruce is thinking about his sister's death in the moment before the fight because we see it in a little bit of flashback. Yeah. So you would ex- ex- expect Bruce, and particularly the Bruce of Fist of Fury and Big Boss, to go apeshit crazy on this guy. Right. But he doesn't. He's actually quite controlled. First punch is just a it's it's a back fist. And I, geeky nineteen year old me, when I had a VHS tape of this movie, went frame by frame to try to see how fast that punch is. Yeah. And I don't think it's speed up sped up. There's a lot of fight scenes that are sped up. I don't think it is. It's it's like a frame and a half. Yeah. Is how long that punch Bruce was really fast. And then you see that O'Hara uh is uh is shocked by that, by the speed. Yeah. And he goes, Okay, I'm gonna yeah. stop it the next time. But he doesn't stop. Still too fast for him. Then the third time, he finally is able to stop it, and Bruce does something else. So that you see this is dialogue yeah. going on. Then you see he gets knocked down, and what does he do? He grabs Bruce's foot, yeah. and then you have the great backflip kick, yeah. which, by the way, is not Bruce. Oh, okay. It's Yen Wa. It's one of these guys who was, I think that's his name, Yuen Wa, who is one of Jackie Chan's brothers from the Peking Opera School. Gotcha. He doubles Bruce for the acrobatic stuff. Wow. And then, and then there's a moment that O'Hara then, and then he gives this, delivers this unbelievable sidekick. Uh, Bruce punt, kicks uh, O'Hara in the chest. The kick was so powerful. O'Hara's all padded up. Yeah. That he flies backwards, knocks over an extra, and breaks that guy's arm. Oh my God. That's a, like, you don't really don't want to be kicked by Bruce Lee. His yeah. sidekicks are really, really powerful. Wow. Then O'Hara now breaks the rules and has these. Uh, Bob, Bruce is done. Bruce yeah. is like, okay, the match is over. Yeah, he's won the match. And he's restrained. This is the guy who killed his sister. Right. But he is not going to kill him. The guy breaks these bottles, is now yeah. turned the fight seriously, and now Bruce does kill him by doing this jump up in the air, land on top of him. 
and you get the shaking face, slow motion, <laughs> intense emotion, Bruce Lee face, which is like nothing else on yeah, screen. Yeah, that's one of my favorite faces ever. It is. There's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme paid homage to it to a degree in Bloodsport when he had his oh, moment yeah. with no, Bolo Jung and did that too. Yeah. 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 Which So that's Bolo. He's yeah. the other big bad guy in this movie. Yes. Man, Bolo's a scary bad guy. He really is. He He's a big dude. That dude is ripped. And, t- and really, genuinely scary. I yeah. think much. And I always, it always bums me out that why do you have John Saxon fight Bolo? I want Bruce to fight Bolo. <laughs> like John Saxon's, like he's fine. He does a perfectly good job yeah. in this movie. But Bolo was the much scarier guy. Yeah, that's one of the weaknesses of Enter the Dragon. I think is fighting the Han at the end of the movie. It's not a great fight scene. Yeah, it's weaker. I would say. Well, because he's older. Yeah. Yeah. But you want, I mean, like that's, but that's, you want your best fight scene in your movie to be your last fight scene. Of course, of course. Which is why the best Bruce Lee one-on-one fight scene is clearly Chuck Norris at the end of Way of the Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fantastic fight scene. That is a good scene. And of course, there's two masters at the top of their game and, or at least Chuck on his way to being a master. Yeah. To, at the well, top he was already a, yeah. a world champion. He oh, was he? Okay. Karate guy okay. at that point. Yeah. And, and, and Chuck will tell you that he could have kicked the shit out of Bruce. <laughs> Really? Yeah. And I, I'm well, I'm sure Chuck will tell you that. My guess is he could. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to get people mad. This is, by the way, so this is like the people could get real. They take the, there are people that take this stuff real seriously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like we could get in Twitter rules of wars about it. But what I'll yeah. say is in general, weight class matters. Mm. Like in general, you yeah. take two top people and you put a heavyweight up against a, a lightweight. Yeah. The heavyweight's going to win. Well, we see that in, uh, we just saw that when uh, McGregor fought Diaz recently in the mm. MMA, Diaz beat him. McGregor was kicking his ass. Right. But then Diaz just kind of waited it out. And then eventually the weight of Diaz got to McGregor and he couldn't uh, adjust and he got beat and he got tapped and he tapped out. Yeah. And it was amazing to watch because McGregor was kicking the crap out of him for the first round and a half. And all of a sudden Diaz started connecting. When he started connecting, the weight of his body and the punches connecting with McGregor was what slowed him down. Eventually got him, got him tapped out. Yeah. Size, size matters. Yeah. What, 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 where it didn't matter was in the early days of MMA because no one had dealt with jujitsu. Right. And so you have horse Gracie who just, Oh. wipes people out yeah. that are, you know, literally outweighing by 150 pounds. You're right. But it's because they didn't know how to deal with this thing. Yeah, they didn't have a ground game. But so so you take a world-class martial artist who Chuck Norris, whatever we might say about him today, right. was at that time a world-class martial artist. And let's say Bruce Lee is maybe even a superior martial artist. Yeah. But my gut is size matters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I love Bruce Lee. And and if you yeah. if you disagree with me, you can certainly talk to me on Twitter <laughs> about it. I'm not going to defend the point. Yeah. I, um, but do, it is a great fight scene. Do you think Kareem was a better fighter than Bruce then? No. No. Okay. I was Bruce say. White, Bruce, Bruce, but he was a better basketball player. That's <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, that was a, that's a great fight scene too. It's yeah. really it's, it's so weird. Yeah, it so is. This is at the end. So the Bruce's unfinished movie because Bruce Lee died. Yeah. He so he's he makes Way of the Dragon in Hong Kong. Yeah. Then goes he starts to make this movie called Game of Death. Yeah. And then in the middle of that is when Enter the Dragon starts. So he goes off to make Enter the Dragon, goes, starts to go back to Game of Death, and then that's when he dies. Right. So he never gets to finish Game of Death. And uh, in it, the idea was that Bruce Lee is going to go up this tower, and on each le- level of the tower, he will face a new challenge. It's essentially a video game. It's exactly a video game. <laughs> yeah. And the final challenge is, was the unknown, and that's where he had to fight Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And so I think Bruce is 5'3", something like that. Yeah. And... Kareem is seven, seven two, seven two. Yeah, and it's crazy. It really is. It. There's a moment where Kareem kicks Bruce Lee in the chest, and it leaves a footprint on him. In the he's in the orange yeah. gold jumpsuit, which man only Bruce can pull off that jumpsuit. Yeah. Uh, he, even uh, Arnold in the Running Man does not look good as no. good in that jumpsuit as Bruce does. Uma did though in Uma, Kill Bill. Uma in Kill totally Bill. in Kill yeah. Bill. Totally, yeah, yeah. Um, and the footprint <clears throat> from Kareem on Bruce's <laughs> chest, it's like half his body. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, what, what is it about this film that you keep coming back to and you wanted to talk about for the cinephiles? Like, why did you want to have this one in contention for yourself? Like, what is it about this particular film that stands out above all his other ones? Because we obviously we've touched on all his, most of his other ones, if not all of them. Well, it's only, I mean, it was it? only got four and a half films. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so the first film is a very low budget film. It's directed by Lo Wei, who is not a great director. Right. These, his only two really 
recognizable films of the two Bruce Lee ones. Right. Bruce was not in total control of the choreography. Mm-hmm. The fight choreographer listed as a different fight choreographer. Okay. And this has a big budget. You know, yeah. I, I actually, in terms of a movie, I might like Way of the Dragon better. Okay. Uh, in, in just for how I feel. Right. And, and, and you know what we should say too, is you got to judge movies on different standards. Yeah. Like, I'm not comparing Enter the Dragon to Citizen Kane. No, 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 no. That's not the point. Yes, some of the dialogue's going to be cheesy. Yes, there's going to be moments where you're kind of like, okay, whatever. Yeah. I'm compa- But it's the thrill of those fight scenes. Right. And the charisma of Bruce Lee. And this, to me, uh, you know, this and Way of the Dragon are the two best ones. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. I, I'm not going to say which movie I think is a better movie. Right. But I think this is the movie that changed the world. Yeah. In the way that Way of the Dragon's not. Yeah, there's an, there's an, access, an accessibility to Enter the Dragon that is not present in pretty much almost all martial arts films. There's something about that from that time. There's an accessibility that the mainstream accessibility to it that isn't present in others. It's an it's a recognizable thing. There's an idea of like, you know, like a uh, undercover agent going in to infiltrate this. These things we'd seen before, these tropes we'd seen before in films. So everything is recognizable. And then you have a personality like Bruce Lee. And then you have those fight scenes, which are fantastic. And then you have the comeuppance of the main, of the bad guy at the end, you know. Sure. And you have the iconic mirror uh, mirror scene, which is right. fantastic, which rivals what uh, uh, Wells did in Lady of Shanghai, which is fantastic. It doesn't really. By the way, I rewatched the Mirror <clears throat> Lady of Shanghai yeah. recently. End of the Dragon doesn't really rock. That that oh. that that, it, that mirror scene in, in Lady from Shanghai is off the charts insane. Okay, uh, but End of the Dragon's really good. Yeah. Uh, um, the uh, I think you you hit it exactly right though, which is its accessibility. Yeah. And the two reasons for it: one, when you're going to see uh, Fist of Fury, that's you're going to see a foreign film. Yeah. Um, Enter the Dragon is an American film. It's in English. Yeah. And, it, and it's made like an American film. And yeah. you take this Bruce Lee character and put him in it. So you don't have that. There's not that layer of, of both of the language and the culture that you have to get past to, ex- to access this movie. Yeah. You know, I think that's the big thing is that this is a movie for all of us. Yeah. All of us being us Westerners. Not right. Because there's a lot more people over <laughs> in that part of the world than there are here. Well, there's very much a, this is a very much a lesser comparison, but it's essentially like Under Siege was for uh, Steven Seagal and uh, uh, under, uh, and uh, Time Cop was for Time Cop was for Jean Claude Van Damme. These are the more ex- the most mainstream accessible films of theirs, which is why they're the most successful of the of their entire uh, 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 listing of films. And the reason is because people can gravitate those and the quality in the way it's done is higher level higher, higher quality you see, that, you see that in game of death as well even that last shot of bruce coming up uh and watching from a from you know from above right. the training that's going on knowing that he's changed the entire place like that's what everyone wants to do is change a corrupt system you know and that's what he does for good for good well and and i think the thing too that you have to talk about with bruce lee and with enter the dragon yeah. is lost potential yeah you know, because Bruce, like James Dean, like not even as uh, like River Phoenix, but, you know, or, or, or like Jim Morrison or yeah. like, you know, Jimi Hendrix is one of those people who you have to go. What could have been? Yeah. Because if you compare, uh, I mean, as I said, I'm a huge Jackie Chan fan. And if you compare Jackie Chan to Bruce Lee, the biggest difference, I think, is that Jackie Chan had 20 years and 20 or 30 movies. Oh, yeah. To, to, to sharpen his craft. So what we got to see, like if you compare Bruce Lee's directorial debut in his third film, which is Way of the Dragon, yeah. to Jackie Chan's third film, there's no comparison. Right. But Jackie Chan has to do 12 films or so before they get good. Yeah. I mean, it's a, he has a lot of bad movies. Yeah. Um, and so you wonder, well, what is Bruce Lee on his fifth movie? What's he able to do then? Yeah. What is he learning then? Like he hadn't really done a lot of acrobatics. Well, he's, what's good? He would learn them. Right. Because this is an extremely disciplined guy. I think when you're that, but I think what happens is you start to counter, you can counter that by saying, okay, but what if you ended up like Elvis? Sure. Right. There's always the, to me, to me, Elvis is always the cautionary tale. You're like, right. oh yeah, well, you know, cause people, if he had died in the, in, in the sixties, right. Oh man, yeah. people would have, it just would have been insane. You know, but like, what would have happened? But would he have gotten? Would have his? What his intensity would have be? Would he have got like? Got, would he have cheated on? I mean, obviously, he cheated on his wife. But would it have been a big, bigger scandal? Right. Would, there's all these things to consider with Bruce, right? Because he was a very intense guy. I think most of the time, those intense guys flame out quickly and die. It's just the way of the world. Sometimes, you know, because they push the extremes of what they're doing. And obviously, I don't know. There's always controversy around his death. No one knows what it was, or they say it was one thing. But there's always rumors that he didn't die, or there's rumors that he died. Of 
of different things, or there was a it was a it was a, a organized crime thing. It's all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah, there's all there's all of that. It seems to me like the preponderance of evidence is he had this embolism or yeah. what it is, and that you know, and that's what it was. Well, the intensity um, of life. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I, I I don't believe he was assassinated by rival <laughs> triads who were upset at him for stealing their secrets. It seems unlikely. Yes, I I also think. What's interesting to think about now is like here's this breakaway Asian actor. Yeah, and how many have we had since then? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, you brought up Jackie Chan, you brought up uh, Sammo Hong to a lesser degree than you have. I would say probably ninety five percent of people in the United States don't know who Sammo Hong. Is. Yeah, it's yeah. fair. That's fair. Uh, uh, there's like John Cho, who I love. Yeah, John right? Cho has but become. We don't have a lot George of... Takai uh, in that connection too. I love George Takai to a degree. But it's like there's no Bruce Lee. No, there's not. There's you know. So that's he yeah. died forty four years ago. Yeah, and the, yeah, the, the, you know, this whole population has not been represented in Western film. Yeah, to the degree. And yeah, I, I, maybe we're forgetting someone. I and I hope we are. But but like it's 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 really sad. Yeah. when you think about it, and, and what's interesting too is that uh, yeah. the way that uh, Asians were portrayed in film and television up to that point in the West was very uh, weak. Yeah. It was very, they would say feminized. You know, they would have the, the, the cue, the hair, uh, and they would speak in pidgin English. Yeah. And Bruce Lee is unbelievably masculine. Yeah. Like his intensity, his internal violence, the way, the swagger in the way he walks, the coolness yeah. was just it must have just blown the doors off the world at that moment. Yeah. You know, I would say we've had upticks, right? Chow Yun Fat. Yeah. Uh, obviously, That's true. To Shiro Mofuni, but he never really came over to the American side of things long enough. And then uh, Watanabe has been fantastic. I love Ken Watanabe. Yeah, Watanabe's yeah, fantastic. But but they haven't really, you know, they haven't really hit that level that Bruce Lee hit. You're right about that. I agree. And his son was kind of on his way a little bit to a degree because The Crow was a, is a good film, but who knows what would have been. Who knows, yeah. Yeah, because everything up to that up to The Crow were not great films. So No. Um, and the, the, two, a couple other things about Bruce that I want, is that I want to talk about is the yeah. idea of moving beautifully physically. Yeah, is like there's the moment where he climbs down the rope. There's the moment where you see him warming up and he has that leg that he's holding up and he rotates it, which is really hard, oh yeah, by the way. yeah yeah rotates around the room. And the idea of seeing beautiful physical movement, I think, is something that existed when we had Charlie Chaplin, we had Buster Keaton, right? And it kind of gone away from film. And, and, and we see it more today. Like you watch a movie like The Matrix, yeah, and it's like the 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 the, the beauty of the movement, not just the fight scenes, but the movement itself becomes important. Yeah. And the other thing I think that we get from Bruce Lee is that I think we get abs. <laughs> I think I sure. think two sources is that Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon because he has a ridiculous body. He really does. I mean, it, and it's unlike any other human body I've ever seen. I mean, wow. When he you know stretches his lats out, it's just like a, like how do you get your body that way? Because yeah. it's very small. And the other guy is Arnold. Yeah, is that if you look at, at dudes with their shirts off previous to Bruce Lee and Arnold, yeah, people don't have abs. Yeah, they might have kind of accidental definition. But Cary Grant wasn't in great shape. Yeah. John Wayne wasn't in great shape. None right. of these guys were in great shape. Mm. Today, if you're going to take your shirt off in a movie, you better have some trainer and yeah. some, cut some weight and you know eat special foods. Yeah. Because and, and I think that really comes from Bruce Lee and Arnold. I remember that in Ninja Assassin when they made a made a movie out of that game, and the guy said that all he ate was chicken and broccoli. Yeah. For four months while he shot the film, he's like, it was like it was the worst. He said, but the body he got for that film was amazing. Yeah, so you're right. I had an actor uh, uh, on a movie where he had to have a shirt off. Yeah, and we were about we were in a little schedule problem, and I was like, well, maybe we'll have to reschedule the shirt off day till tomorrow. And he said, we can't. I'm ready right now. <laughs> he hadn't drunk water all day. Oh, like he he had like been cutting weight. Yeah, and, and exercising. He was like, "This is the moment because I need to go get a cheeseburger <laughs> when we're done." I said, "Okay, we'll shoot it right now." Um, and he looked great. Right on. Uh, so, uh, final thoughts. Uh, I would say if you haven't seen this movie, do yourself a favor and watch it. It's so much fun. Uh, and if you haven't watched it in a while, go back and rewatch it. The fight scenes alone are the most enjoyable part of the movie. Yeah, the story is a bit, uh, like you said, it's a bit rote. You've seen it before. But you, I don't think you can deny the performances of anybody in the film. They're all doing their best work in the film and having fun doing their work. And you can tell it comes through that they understood the level to which they were stepping up to in this film, especially Bruce. And no one more so than Bruce. You know, there's such, there's such an approach to this film that you can tell comes through in his performance. You know, he understood that this was the next step 
for him. It seemed yeah. that that was coming through uh, for him. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I love the film. I enjoy the hell out of the film. Yeah, he, he, he's one of those people where when he is on screen, you cannot stop looking at him. Yeah. He is this. And this is something that is very hard to define, which is screen charisma. Yeah. And he's got it. And uh, yes, you know, I, I, I always advise watch a film for what it is. Yeah. Like this is an early 70s film. It's a little cheesy. Right. You know, accept that. And yet you will still marvel like that. We haven't talked about the fight scene with the guards. Oh, yeah. One of the most unbelievable fight scene in which Bruce is really a demonstration of Jeet Kune Do as well because he trades up weapons. Yeah. From, you know, from hand to hand to stick to two sticks, which is a screamer, which he learned from Dan Inosanto, to um, nunchucks, which is Bruce's, of course, yeah. specialty, uh, which I have bruises all over my shins and my head and stuff when I tried to learn them <laughs> in high school. Um they're very, they really will mess you up. Yeah. Um, and you watch, and, and you watch the rhythm. You see why who's a champion cha-cha dancer. Yeah. The rhythm of the fight scene, the explosiveness, the grace which he moves from technique to technique, and yeah. the pose and the finish. Because that's the other thing that Bruce really shows, and you'll see it even more with Jackie Chan, yeah. is it's not just the moment of doing that cool kick. It's how you land the kick. Yeah. You gotta stick the landing. Yeah. If you don't stick the landing, the kick wasn't cool. Right. You know, and Bruce has you know, cool coming out of every pore of his body. Yeah. Um, yes. So definitely check out enter the dragon. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it before, I hope it sends you on a long journey of great martial arts movies. Yeah. You got about a hundred in front of you. Um, <laughs> and for those of you who had, it'll be really fun to revisit. We'd love to hear your comments. You can visit us on our Facebook page. That's at the cinephiles. That's C I N E dash F I L E S. Uh, leave your comments about this movie. Tell us what we get wrong. If you think Bruce Lee could have kicked Chuck Norris's ass, <laughs> I'd love to hear your reasons. Absolutely. I'm on the fan. You know, I, I could go either way about it. Yeah. Bruce Lee could definitely kick Jackie Chan's ass, and that's no disrespect to Jackie Chan. <laughs> um, and, of course, you can reach me at S.R. Morris on Twitter. John, where can they reach you? Uh, you can always find me at The Roca Says, T-H-E-R-O-C-H-A-S-A-Y-S. Uh, you can see all the shows I'm hosting, co-hosting like this one, and all the shows I'm a guest on. And uh, please, uh, Collider's. Guys, subscribe or watch Collider, the top 10 show on Collider. Wednesdays at 5 p.m. It releases on YouTube. Go there, subscribe, watch me and Matt Nose talk about movies. Absolutely. It's really fun to watch. And if you don't have time, I found that I, you actually can download it as an audio podcast as well. Nice. It's definitely worth listening to if you, if you can't. I mean, you really should look at John's face because it's really, <laughs> it's really particularly when Matt disappoints him. Oh, it's off the charts it's a lot of good stuff to see <laughs> really please uh, review us on iTunes it really helps us a lot and uh, that's it for this week we will see you next time on The Cinephiles <laughs>